you can't convert somebody that isn't going through a major crisis. That's why Jesus said, blessed are you when you are in a major spiritual crisis. Oh man, that's a good place to be. Why the gospel doesn't sound like good news today on In the Shadow of the Cross. I am still Lauren Rosser. I am here with my friends Jim Durkin. Hello. And Michael Harden. I, I guess we're still as friends, Jim. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> For now, don't push it. You're you're on thin ice, Michael. <laughs> so last week we began a really interesting conversation on what makes the gospel good news, and we decided to continue on that topic just because it's it's a good one. Um because like for me growing up, the gospel was not really good news. It was something that made me actually kind of afraid of God. Um, even though it's weird, it's that abusive parent kind of relationship. Cause even though I was told he's good and that I'm supposed to love him and that he's loving, um, there were a lot of scary things about God that made me really nervous and, and I just didn't feel safe with him. And, um, a, a huge part of what we're talking about unravels that perspective of our heavenly father and uh really actually causes us to see that he's the safest person you could ever meet in the entire universe which even just saying that gives me tremendous joy so so we're going to pick it up where we did last time last time we were we were on the topic of suffering we actually ended up uh, moving down to uh, taking this road down to um, suffering simply because we were talking about the humanity of Christ identifying with us in our suffering. And when you've been through suffering, knowing that God stands with you in solidarity in suffering is very good news. So, but let, let's, let's raise that question again, though. What makes the gospel good news? Okay. Let's, let's, let's just get two things out of the way. One, is suffering bad? What does it mean to suffer? Right? We have to ask. We have, we have to ask. Suffering is about change. Ooh, yes. Always about change. Okay? Things changed. And now we're... So, suffering is about change. Now, if we accept that life is about change, and furthermore, if we are willing to be flexible in ourselves and adapt to the new situations, why, we can have a rather uh, fine life, You're recognizing that this is life, this is how it flows. Now, if we believe in a God that's a Superman God or, you know, a, a big Zeus God, you know, Jesus. <laughs> right. <laughs> They believe in Jesus. Um, you know, if we believe in that kind of a God and then we suffer, then we all of a sudden have the theodicy question. Why is this happening to me? Why is there evil in the world? What did I do wrong? And we're back in our religion with our transactional God, and we make promises that, you know, sometimes we intend to keep, sometimes not, but we make them anyway, and begging divinity, on and on. So, so you have these things, we have to keep all this in mind, because when we, what, what is really happening when we suffer? We're, we're undergoing change. When somebody hits me, it causes pain to that area, right? The pain is letting me know that these muscles where that fist hit are undergoing trauma. The, the, the bruising process is about to begin, right? What we do in suffering matters. How we, in other words, suffering is just a part of life. How we handle it matters. And we can handle it as though, like people do with religion, and it becomes a theodicy question, or we can become bearers of light and love during this time. 
because that's where God does God's best work. We can be those who hold our heads up and say, I'm trusting the Father. Even though everything else is crashing around me, I will trust the Father. We can be those who, uh, <clears throat> because we have been in these situations, because we know what they're like, because we may go through them again. I hope not. I hope, you know, one big one's good enough, but you never know. Um, some of us have to get banged on the head a few times. But the point is, is that we learn through them. And what is it we learn? To love. Right. So we don't, we don't, you know, people that undergo suffering, they can become bitter because they're angry with God. In the long run, they're just pissed off at God. Damn it, that God didn't do anything for me. The church said he would. The Bible said he would. I believed in that God. I tithed. I did this. I did that. And that God didn't do a damn thing for me. Bop, 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 You know, they get angry. They leave the church. They go out. They become deconstructed Christians. You know, uh, but, but what they never did was they never let the Father in at that point. I think that's so uh, so valuable what you're saying. What they did is they never let the Father in at that point. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking of two examples from Scripture. One, uh, I believe he was a, a blind man, might have been a lame man, I'm not sure. And the disciples said to Jesus, who sinned, this man or, or his parents? Right. And he said, this isn't about punishment. This isn't about, you know, who sinned. This yeah, is this about is not, the glory. Not how it works here. This is about the glory of God getting ready to be manifest. I'm, I, I am going to step into this situation here. And, uh, you mm, know, and, that's and, good, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking also, Jesus's, if you will, promise, in this world, you will suffer persecution. Oh, yeah. That's a promise. Yes, it is. But be of good cheer and that goes back to what i was saying last uh last week we don't start with understanding we start with faith be of good cheer i've overcome the world well if i'm That's in the middle problem. of my suffering i'm wondering how in the world he overcame the world because i'm suffering here you know and and we've grown up like lauren said we've grown up preaching that God has, you know, get saved because God has a wonderful plan for your life. And and we start out with that, uh, you know, message, believing that that's the gospel. And, and, and then things happen. And I, I remember when I was younger, I remember my dad telling a story about a man that he knew had been pastor for... I don't know, 60, 70, 80 years, something like that. And his wife died of, of a cancer and terrible pain she experienced. And he said he spent the rest of, uh, my dad said this man spent the rest of his life sitting on his front porch, drinking himself into a stupor, cursing God because I've done so much for you, and you didn't do one damn thing for me. <clears throat> you know? And and mm -hmm. it, it's sad that we keep propagating this message of God is the, uh, you know, he's either going to keep suffering away from us, or he's going to rescue us in the middle of it, instead of like, no... He's probably going to give us an opportunity to find him in the middle of it, but he's not necessarily going to rescue us, and he certainly is not going to keep us from all of it. We'll never get another flat tire as long as we live. <laughs> right. You, That's you not a promise? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good year. <laughs> That's a good year. Oh, grown. No, in you know, hey, I'm a dad. I've got to do dad jokes. <laughs> Real quick, buddy trail. They did a study and they found that dad jokes are actually good for children because they help them to learn with being uncomfortable. 
they, that was an actual study that they found out. So they said that dad jokes are actually good. They help the development of children dealing with embarrassment. Um, and how many even, millions? And how many millions of dollars did we spend on that study? Exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> I could have told you that without a <laughs> without a study. Um, but you guys each said something that was really stuck out at me. Uh, first of all, Michael, what you were saying about um, about suffering being change. That's such a, a a wave to just bring it down the funnel right to the point. I mean, it, it really, really is because it really shows we as human beings, we hate change. And, uh, and, and it, it, getting to the core of that, and you, and you made me think of that, um, you know, how we talked about it, it's our response in the suffering, as you were saying. And it's funny because I remember when my parents were getting divorced when I was in high school. There was a sweet Christian lady lived around the block from me, um, and it was my best friend's mom. And she said to me when she knew about my parents getting divorced, she goes, Lauren, just know this. Your problems can either make you a bitter person or a better person. And it was weird because in the one of those things sounds like a catchy refrigerator magnet or something. But in that moment at 17 years old, that was such a word fitly spoken at the exact right time. Because in that moment, it was like it, the Holy Spirit infused in me. It's like you have a choice here. You can either get bitter about your parents' divorce, you can get bitter what's going to happen, or you can let this make you a better person. And and I didn't realize how much that – and it's funny because I shared that with my wife when we were newlyweds, and she quotes that all the time to this day. So it it, it even went beyond me, and, and Lily carries that. She's adopted that as one of like her phrases in life. Um, so I, I love that you shared that, Michael, that our response is what matters. And it doesn't mean our response is going to be perfect. It doesn't mean our response is void of anger or frustration or all that stuff. We're going to feel it. We're going to feel the emotion of it. But in all, it's like – I remember in particular something going through some suffering because of, of a loss of a loved one. And I remember yelling at God. But even in the midst of my yelling at God, I knew I was in a safe place. I cursed him out. But I knew I could do that because I knew I had a father who loved me. So so it's not that it's like I'm going to handle this perfectly and be the sweet, nice little cookie-cutter Christian. It's that in the suffering – to me, that is the right thing because I'm taking it to the right person and, and getting that out. It's like, it's like, Jim, then I don't, as you share, Jim, I don't end up as the bitter guy sitting on the porch, you know, who's going to drink myself into a stupor because I've wrestled with God in this. Now I've had my, my dark night of the soul and wrestled with it in it. The other, the other thing, Jim, was when you shared this, this like exploded in me when you shared about the, um, about the blind man and, um, because the the way that I always heard that growing up, and it always tripped me up because it was, um, Jesus said it was neither his parents that sinned, but so that the glory of God could be revealed. So it was almost like it was in God's master plan that this man be born blind so that this moment Jesus could show up and heal him. When you said it was so that God could, you said something along the lines of, of Jesus reaching out and to his, stepping into his suffering. And that's when it just exploded in me. And went, bam, it's not that God said, I'm going to make this man blind so that when my son shows up, people can see that I'm the son of... It was that Jesus said, he was showing us, the glory of God's revealed how? By somebody stepping into his suffering. That's how the glory of God is revealed, is that it, it just happened to be Jesus stepping in his suffering was to restore his sight. But it could be, it could be something where... It's simple as I'm going to come alongside you and help guide you around town. I'm going to be your friend. I'm going to make sure you get your needs met. He, we step into the suffering of the person. So the glory of God is revealed when we see somebody suffering and we step into their suffering and, and, uh, bring life into the situation as best as we can. It's kind of like when you see the hurricanes go through, you know, and there's all the devastation, but then you see the people step up and start <laughs> providing food and, and shelter and taking care of people. You, you, you see the glory of God, the goodness coming into the situation. Do you, do you really, or, it, or is it just goodness of people? Well, is goodness it, of people. I mean, is it really the glory of God? Is that really what it means? I'm challenging you. I don't okay. think so. Okay, um, help me out here. I was still a friend at the beginning of the episode, but we'll see where this goes. Yeah. <laughs> I think, Michael, I think it can be both. Well, I haven't even I said what it is. My thought is. I know, but I'm, I'm cutting you off. 
it certainly can be the goodness of people. Huh? It can be. It, it can certainly be the goodness of people. It it can be the humanistic um, uh, response of man. I see this person over here that's really suffering, and uh, you know, I would like to try and help alleviate their suffering because uh, you you know, and and sometimes that's self serving. It's hard for me to see you suffering. So maybe if I could help you out, then I don't have to go through the emotional turmoil I go through seeing you day after day suffering. But I also believe it can be the glory of God revealed in that I step out of my comfort zone and again, with the comfort that I've been comforted, I'm now extending that to to this person when there's nothing in me that wants to do that. I mean, maybe even in my humanistic approach, I might say, "Well, that guy's that that guy's a really rotten guy and he deserves everything he gets." But the love of God working through me says, "No." I want you to go over there and I want you to manifest my love towards him. So so it can I think it can be both really. Okay. <laughs> but I want to hear well, your, your I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah, what, what are your thoughts, Michael? <laughs> You're allowed so to be far, honest. <laughs> well, so far, you know, um what you've said does it require revelation? Does it require the cross? Does it, I mean, people were doing this before Jesus, long before Jesus. Okay, so I can't, I cannot talk about the glory of God being made manifest because the glory of God is made manifest in the event of the cross. That's both the Johannine and the Pauline way of speaking of it. So the 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 uh, there's nothing redemptive. In other words. We're just being good people, but there's nothing redemptive here about this suffering. <clears throat> how do you how do you turn suffering into to that which is redemptive? Number one, you don't. God does. Okay, but number two, you recognize that the redemptive suffering can only occur in relationships and redemptive suffering is when you are struck on the one cheek and you turn the other and perhaps you get struck on that and so you turn the other back everybody every buddy that's angry in a, in a relationship has a point at which their anger is finished they, they're done. They take it out on you. They're done. <clears throat> Redemption can only come when, at that point, you can look at the other in the eye and say, I'm so sorry, and I thank you for sharing, and I love you. That is the place where redemption can come, because at some point, they're going to reflect on everything they said and realize that 99% of it was wrong, mean, ill-spirited, and everything mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. But you've left that door open for the relationship to stay restored. That's redemptive suffering. So let me ask then, how does that apply into the blind man situation? Well, the, the important thing about the blind man story in John 9, where it occurs... Um, is the um, testimony uh, that's it's a, it's a law, it's structured as a law court scene, as a court scene, okay? And the parents are brought in to give testimony, and he's brought in, you know, I, I don't know who he was, just this Jesus guy came to this, you know. And the point of that narrative, like so many of the other Yohanna narratives, is do you believe my, me and my words and that my words are the Father's words and I was sent by the Father and 
I do what the Father says, and I hear what the Father says, and I do it. But that's that is the point of that miracle. And what does the blind man do when he sees Jesus again? He follows him, right? So okay. In other words, we want to be we got to be careful with these so-called miracle stories because the authors the authors. Um, the Johannine writer <laughs> it's, it's not, does not even call the, these kind of things miracles, dunamis, displays of power. He uses the word semion. It's a sign. You know, so I, I want to be careful, at least with the yeah. Johannine writer, not to... Ha, he, he would not see it as a dunamis, as a display of power. Because, again, right. where is power displayed? In the powerlessness of the cross. Right. So what's interesting here is what, what you basically just said is we, we, we've called the, um, the glory of God being revealed too early in the story. We, we, we got to finish reading the blind man's story um, before we get to the glory of God part, which is the part, like you said, when he's being questioned by the Pharisees and, um, and then Jesus comes and he chooses to, to follow Jesus. That's the, that's the glory of God part of the story. It's not, it's not just the he was blind now he sees start right interesting okay he I he has also... not simply his sight restored but now also his relationship with the healer of the universe well and i think also to carry on the analogy that lauren was bringing uh that you adjusted when we step into another person's suffering at the prompting of of the Lord, um, or at, at least at our belief that the Lord's prompting us, it really can only transcend humanism to the degree that we basically bring the cross into it, the the the, the glory of God into it, that we allow them, um, not necessarily. Let's say a blind man. He's not necessarily going to slap us, literally, but in a way, because he's pouring out his venom, you know, look at what God did to me or whatever, you know, it's like, or, or, the, or the man I talked about earlier, and we allow them to just pour out their anger and pour out their anger. You're making a statement that at some point in time, they come to the end of their anger. If we haven't allowed ourselves to sit there and take, just keep turning our cheek, taking in that, we're not going to be there at the moment that they come to the end of their ang anger to be able to minister the grace and the love of the Lord. We won't be there. Um, right. So I, I think that's the only way it can transcend, uh, you know, our human proclivity to want to be the nice guy it's we've got to go beyond being the nice guy that holds them by the hand and walks them through life uh you know we've got to be the person that literally and and <clears throat> this may be going too far but it's it's almost in microcosm like jesus taking sin off of us it's like we're carrying the weight of this person's anger and venom and and all of his all of his everything and we're just care we're carrying that for them we're letting them put that on us so that we can at some point in time hopefully be able to share the healing end of things you know the come out you know come out of your blindness and see the real light so it, it, and what, I think what that, the I like that you're really saying there's more. Them. What's that? What is this real light we're really bringing them? This this real light when they look at our life, you you just simply say God is not like you think. That's the that's the only light. It yeah. goes back to last week. Oh. It's love and light. These things, mm -hmm. these two are inseparable. God yeah. is love. God is light. 
Yeah. Yeah, Jim, I, I was thinking of your story from last week of how um, you went through that real dark night of the soul and were sitting at the baseball field and, and the whole thing and then had that um, encounter with God where he kept saying, Jim, do you love me? And I, I was thinking of that right in line with what you were sharing of how it's like he kept asking you that till you came to the end of yourself. That it, mm-hmm. it's like it's like the anger in you, the, the rage there was was brought to its conclusion. Well, until I came to the end of making sure I gave the right answer, mm. the religious answer. I mean, how how dare, even though during that three years there were times I told them how I felt, but at that moment I was in a church building <laughs> where spiritual song was being say, sung. I couldn't tell them how I really felt, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and he just kept asking until... It was no longer the religious answer. It was no longer the right answer. It was really the deep cry of my heart. And, 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 um, yeah, yeah. And I, maybe Peter was able to get there after three times of being asked, but I wasn't. That's really good. Man, there's a lot I want to say on that. Um, first, but Michael, I, I like how you were bringing up the, the um, that with with Jesus, with the Father, it's not just about the physical. It's about the heart, the, the, the spiritual aspect of it, if you will. Because um, I, I was hearing this this lady when, when I was working on that documentary series with uh, with my our friend um, Steve Crosby. Um we interviewed a lady, Lisa Coons, who does a lot of work. Um, when I say this term, don't people out there listening don't have a knee-jerk reaction, but she does a lot of work for, uh, for justice. But justice, for her, it's it's actually helping the poor and the needy and, and uh, people like that. Um, and so in the sense of the way um, the Old Testament uses the word justice in that in that realm of taking care of the, the poor and stuff. And one of the things she shared that I thought was so profound when she shared it was she goes – she goes bringing the gospel. Um, she goes. She goes. We can just be like a humanistic organization, and, and we can just give them money, give them food, give them clothing. She goes, but that's not the gospel. She she goes. The gospel takes care of the whole person, and she goes. So if we give them, um, if we don't meet their physical needs, if we give them the physical that they need, but we don't help their spiritual needs. In other words, give them the gospel. She goes, then we're only helping half the problem. She goes, but at the same time, the other way, if we just give them the gospel, but they're hungry and they're, or they need clothing or whatever, and we don't help them. She goes, then same thing. We've only given them half the gospel because she goes, the gospel is the entire thing that God cares about you completely. I like that. That's a cool story. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was pretty profound when she shared that. Um, but Jim, I, I, going back to what you were saying about the um, coming coming to the end of yourself, I, I, I think that's so often what Father is driving at, is that we, we put up our correct answers, our societal ways of responding to things and stuff. And, and, and I even see Jesus doing that with the Pharisees when, you know, how we talked before in a previous podcast about we try to psychoanalyze Jesus. Oh, he was angry in this or he was and and. But when I when I look at Jesus with the Pharisees, what I see him is saying something that causes them to respond out of how they really feel. Not because he's trying to humiliate or shame, but because he's it's bringing he's light. Light shines in the darkness. Here's what's really in you. And but it's when he does that, it's so we become aware. Because I've seen when God brings me to the end of myself and I'm raging against God, it's like, um, that's what's been there all along, Lauren. <laughs> you know, you've you've been really pissed off at me for a while here, and you've been putting on the nice little Christian cliches and all that stuff to pretend you're not. Um, I, I would even I've even heard it shared that that's why oftentimes many Christians do with depression, because depression is just anger turned inward. You know, so it's like, it's really a lot of Christians are carrying a whole lot of anger at God, life and all this stuff. But it's like, it's hidden behind all the Christian cliches and everything. So I I think that that's what, you know, we're talking about what makes the gospel good. Part of what the gospel makes good is we get to meet ourselves and we get to meet him as we meet ourselves. 
<laughs> because and when we when I say we meet him, we see that he is all good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I re- I remember twenty some years ago, might be closer to thirty now. Uh, <clears throat> when I first started seeing uh, the grace of God, when I first started seeing the love of God, um, and and in those days. I, I certainly didn't see it to the degree I see it now, but I, but a whole lot clearer than I was raised to understand it. And I started preaching on it, and and I had uh, pastors all around me that were saying, "Man, this is dangerous to preach this kind of stuff." If you preach this kind of stuff, people are just going to go out there and they're going to do whatever they want to do. I mean, you know, they're going to start sinning again and they're saying, yeah, but the grace of God covers it. Yeah, but the love of God. And and I remember sharing, I remember the first time I shared this understanding or whatever you will, uh, although I've shared it hundreds of times since, but I remember sitting with a brother and he was just, harping on well i i know the bible says what you're saying but it's dangerous to preach that and 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 because of what people will do with it and i i said you know i don't think a person can do anything that isn't already in their heart to do and if telling them that God has removed the law, and where there is no law, there is no sin, telling them that God incredibly loves you and accepts you, telling them that the, there is something called grace, but but also that grace is, is what teaches us to say no to sin, if they take that for a brief period of time, and a brief period of time may be a few years, and they go out and do all these things that we have listed as sin in the in the evangelical church. So they go out and do all these things. Eventually, number one, they're going to come to the end of that, and they're gonna they're going to have a God encounter, if you will. But something else, something else, I think I see. And that's that if it was in their heart to do, and now supposedly because of my message, I gave them license to do it. It was always in their heart to do it. Isn't it better to let it come to the surface so that if it is a transgression of some sort, the Holy Spirit can deal with it than for it always to be this lustful desire down in their heart that they can never act on so they're always walking in this heavy condemnation they're always walking in this you know get the whip out and beat my back because i have this desire it's like you know you know pop the pimple and get over with it you know it's <laughs> like let's be done <laughs> You know, anyhow, <laughs> that may not be perfect theology, but but uh, <laughs> I'm not sure it's good dermatology either. <laughs> <laughs> anyhow, today on In the Shadow of the Cross, dermatology one on one. But I but I do think that we cannot be afraid of preaching the gospel because of what some people might do with it, especially people who have been so in bondage to religious, you know... Propaganda. Yeah, exactly. I I don't even know the right word, but yeah, propaganda is good. That when you preach the gospel... They want to have a breakout session, <laughs> you know. They want to they want to break into liberty, and and for a while they may they may get out there because they're mad. 
I, I know a couple of young ladies right now that, you know, they're experimenting with all kinds of things because they're mad at, at the way they were raised. And, and I, I'm just, you know, I'm just walking with them as much as I'm, you know, as much as they'll let me into their life. Uh, you know, I'm a grandfather by comparative age. But I'm just walking with them and saying, you know, it's really okay. Well, yeah. my grandma and and my mom and my dad and my siblings, they don't think it's okay. I say, well, that's all right. It's okay that they don't think it, but I do. And I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to be here at every turn as you're mm -hmm. trying to figure this thing out. Mm -hmm. And I understand you being mad. I would be too, you know. Yeah, there, there's a lot of that going on. I, I, I've, I've been hearing. I mean, that's that's part of that whole. Um, you go back to episode one, the deconstruction thing. I mean, that goes right back to that. That how we talked about some people kind of fall off the bandwagon, and, and some some don't, and some kind of reach the bottom and then start climbing climbing out or whatever. But but there, there's a lot of that where um, people just get so fried, and um, because they're not allowed to be real, they're not allowed to to. Um, you know, fall in the arms of a, a safe place, a father who is a safe place to land. And, um, and, and so hopefully in the place like you're talking about, Jim, in that place of anger and, 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 uh, experimenting and everything, they do find that safe place, you know, um, because when you realize that you're on that path and you're still loved, you're still loved and the love, his love for you never stops. I mean, that's, that's a very good place to be. I don't. I don't know if either of you have seen uh, the Jesus Revolution movie yet. Yes, I saw it. Uh, yeah, okay. same here. And they, you know, and and I'm not going to get into Lonnie Frisbee's life or anything like that. It's there's plenty of videos out there uh, if you want to follow it. Uh, there's three books that Lonnie dictated to be written, um, but. They do, they do bring out to a certain degree that Lonnie grew up his whole life in his childhood with incredible levels of rejection. And as a result of that, he maybe pushed the envelope, maybe. I'm just not going to get into that too much. But maybe push the envelope of, of like, I'm important here, I, you know, uh, he, he said uh, at one point to Chuck Smith, he said there would be no, uh, you know, movement if it wasn't for me or something to that degree. What he experienced from the church was just a continuation of the rejection. Mm -hmm. Well, you've got this going on in your life, so we reject you. Get out of here. We don't want you. We, you know, and I, I, I. Just wonder, and I know this kind of speculation doesn't really accomplish anything, but I do just wonder what would have happened if any one of the major leaders that he, uh, you know, was linked up to would have just put their arm around him and said, man, we see a, a young man that's hurting, that's broken, but you know what, you're, you're home now, you're safe. And what what would have been the end result, not only in his life, but perhaps in in perhaps in the whole movement, perhaps in thousands of other people's lives, and and you know we can't speculate on that that the what ifs and the shouldas and couldas, but but I think about that in terms of who is there in my life that I have the opportunity to draw into the love of God that has experienced nothing but rejection, nothing but being shunned or whatever. And in all the pains of life, I personally think rejection is one of the biggest pains that a person can experience. Oh, yeah. Dor <clears throat> Dorota Zola says that exact phrase in her book, hmm. Suffering. Suffering with rejection is the worst form of suffering that's why the acceptance of the lord is so important is so that's important right. yeah right 
What makes the gospel good is the message has changed. Yeah. The, 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 all the gods of all the mythologies and all the religions, including Christianity, are two-faced. But the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, one face, love and light. End of story. And, and, and I think, you know, it, it, it may sound like in, in this uh, podcast we went off of that, you know, that theme that we were building on last week. But I don't really think we, we went that far off of it. Jesus said that he was going to build a church. And the gates of Hades can't prevail against that. We're, we're, we are a family. And we're a family of love. And, and, and part of the good news is, is that we are in a relationship. It's a, it's a loving relationship. It, it becomes supportive when it needs to be supportive. We stand with each other. We don't, we don't separate. We don't pull away. And when we accidentally, if I, if I may say that, wound somebody, we immediately turn and ask for forgiveness and give forgiveness. That's Christ church. This other thing that we call church, this institution or organization built on, uh, you know, uh, laws and, and practices and, and, you know, whatever, uh, it's going to continue to not only wound people, it's going to continue to kill people. You know, mm -hmm, the letter mm -hmm. kills, the, the tongue kills. It's, it, you know, why? Because it's not based on love. It's not based on a true understanding of, as you say, Michael, of who God really is as manifest through Jesus Christ. You know, it's, it's, it's this other whole thing so if we allow God to be a two-faced, uh, we call it love and justice or whatever, uh, you know, then if we allow God to be that way, then we allow ourselves to be that way also. Exactly. Uh, it's perfectly okay for us to be um, vindictive, uh, let right. alone judgmental, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. We we become like the God that we hold to. And so if we have a two-faced God, we're we're going to respond as two-faced people and we're going to call that just and we're going to call that love. Because we're going to say, "Well, I was just I was just when I blew up at that guy, I was just setting him straight because I love him, even though I'm treating him like crap and just crushed him." You know. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. We have a litany of excuses. Or the way we treat each other poorly. Exactly. So, Michael, anyway. kick the ball down the road a little bit further here on the on this subject of the gospel. Okay, so so in a world in a postmodern world now now we've gone through Christendom, right? Here we're in this postmodern world where no nobody trusts anything: news, governments, banks, churches. Uh, politicians, you name, we just don't, we don't even trust each other. You know, we just, the, the trust of the, the, that, that which kind of holds all that social fabric together is eroding. We're, we are inviting people to actually believe that they are loved by the Father in a, in a, in a time of, of unparalleled crisis coming up. We are going to be those who will have to shoulder those burdens, let them become redemptive, and become the light in life to, to other people. It means more <clears throat> than just being a good person and doing the right thing and whatever. Far more than that. It means specifically articulating that, that, that we are loved, loved by the Father. Um, it means venturing out into into helping people rethink their faith tradition and showing them, look, 
the best parts of your tradition, the best parts. For example, the doctrine of the Trinity. I can show you how that is not something to be believed in, but is actually something to that we believe through. We, we're going to just change our perspective. We allow it to change our perspective rather than it being an object of some, I got to figure out how three is one and one is three and this is that and these are all dead. You know, no, 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 no. So our goal is, to, is not to, to do the postmodern thing and deconstruct people's faith. Our, our my goal, and I'm, I know it's your, yours too, is to bring people beyond religion back to the faith tradition of of the early church, in a sense, but with without ignoring the insights of all the others that have come along. So, for example, it's not enough to go back and say, well, we're going to study the church fathers and to talk about the doctrine of the Trinity, because more research and books and everything else regarding the doctrine of the Trinity happened in the 20th century than in the 4th century. Okay? Much more work happened, and it's good work. It just doesn't make its way into the seminaries, and thus it never makes its way into the pulpit, and thus into the lives of the regular person. But it's fantastic work, you know. We need translators of that material to be able to bring this into shape as good news. Do, do you think that will ever work its way into the pulpit? Yes. It's my, I'm, I know I'm helping people do it. Good. I'm, I'm, you, know, you know I know a lot of pastors that have read my work and said it changed the way they preach, you know. So, yes, I, it did. It has. Some of these people also lost their churches because of it. Right. You know. But you, you can't. You can't convert somebody that isn't going through a major crisis. That's why Jesus said, blessed are you when you are in a major spiritual crisis. Oh, man, that's a good place to be, you know? It's interesting that you say that because I don't believe that a person has to come into a crisis in order to meet Jesus. No, but no, I believe, no! I didn't say that. I said Jesus does I, his best work in a crisis. Exactly, and I, I and I'm, I, I'm in agreement with you, but I'm saying that the vast majority of people that I've, well, how did you end up coming to faith? They say it started in a crisis. Yeah, you know, this happened, that happened, whatever, and I, I didn't know where to turn, so I just said, God, if you're there, help me. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And, and then we get away from that kind of, we don't want that kind of theology that God meets you in crises. It's like, God is going to bless me above yeah, everybody yeah, yeah. else on the, you know. It's yeah. like, I'm going to be the richest man in the world because God is for me, you know. It's like, uh, <laughs> where do you read that? But anyhow, but what you said, say that, say that again so uh, the people in the back row can hear it. I, I don't know what you want me to repeat. Which part? The, your statement about crises. God does God's best work in our in when we experience a crisis. Crisis. Th think about this. Krineo in Greek. It, it's a judging. It's a discerning. It creates a, a critical crisis. We get the word critical. It creates a critical situation. A situation that requires decision. That requires action even when one feels incapable of making decisions or actions. It requires discernment. It requires the mind um, begin to look for ways out. It requires that. It, um, a crisis, you know, the, you, I, so this is overblown and overused, but it is wonderful if I've got this correct in one of the, man, the uh, Chinese scripts. I don't know Mandarin, can't, I don't know which one. The the uh, sign for uh, crisis is made up of the sign for opportunity and the sign for danger. Yep. You know, I was thinking the same thing. The thing is, in every crisis, 
there's always opportunity. For those that are willing to look for it, there's always opportunity in crisis. But most people end up emotionally paralyzed and depressed uh, in a crisis, you know, so then they never seize the opportunities that can come their way. Yeah, I even posted on Facebook recently that one of the things I was never taught in my early years in Christianity was that if you're going to follow Jesus, be prepared to get really good at crisis management. Because <laughs> I've found that every it, it, it's it's continually going from oftentimes from crisis to crisis and having to seek for wisdom on okay how do I how do I walk through this how do I go through this and it's and and you learn to think because of him because of what what the spirit does in you you learn to think very creatively and in my early years uh, I thought I was lacking faith because I would learn okay like for example move this money from this account and that money from this account and do the you know to to get through this crisis and little did I realize and as I grew in Christ that that was him walking what? me through the crisis because my health and wealth gospel said, no, no, the money's supposed to magically appear. The check's supposed to be in the mail. I'm not supposed to have to do this stuff. <laughs> and little did I realize, no, that's life in this world. And he's walking you through it. You know, my mother lied to me. She said money doesn't grow on trees. Um, you know, like you can. But that's how the damn central banks make money. They get the printing machine go. Burr, exactly. Burr. <laughs> She lied to me. It does. It does grow. It does. The Federal Reserve. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, well, let, oh. let's, let's do one last thing. Let's note this. Our audience has suffered with us through two episodes. Yeah. That means God's going to do a good work in you. <laughs> Exactly. And and that is time. Uh, but uh, thanks everyone for listening in. And once again, Jim, where can people find your book? Amazon.com. And Michael, where can people find your stuff? Amazon.com and YouTube. All right. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in and we'll talk to you next week. 